You're listening to the Just Giants Podcast with Grump and the Cranky Fan. Be sure to listen for free on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, and Podbean. On fourth and five, Jones steps up, takes off, he's in, touchdown! Welcome back to Just Giants with Grump and the Cranky Fan, the best damn podcast for the best damn football team. I'm your host, the Football Grump, and with me as always is Mike the Cranky Fan. Hey there, uh, Grump. Happy post, uh, post-draft. post Hope you're uh, settling in at home. We're at week nine of this, and uh, every day and every week's the same. So let's, uh, let's do the one thing that we really enjoy doing each week. It's, let's talk some giant football. Yeah. Um, you know, this is kind of the time where we start getting more news. So a lot of the lead up to the draft is just draft talk. But now that that is settled, uh, the schedule is scheduled to be released this Thursday at 8 p.m. and is still being released on on uh, according to uh, schedule. Yeah. Uh, make a few predictions about it. One, it'll probably be the highest rated schedule release show in history <laughs> in ESPN history <laughs> for sure I think I think it's on NFL Network actually I, so is it real there's a show for it oh there always is first of all it's it's releasing at 8 p.m. I always thought that it re- released like at 4 p.m. no 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 it's released it used to be but in the last couple of years there's been an actual show with they've had uh you know they they, they release it pretty quickly but then they spend the next hour discussing it you know, going through, you know, oh, these are the five hardest schedules. These are the five easiest ones. These are the five must wins, you know, that type of stuff. So. So uh, I also my prediction for the schedule is I think what you're going to see is them release a full, you know, 17 week schedule with 16 games and including preseason. But I do not think you're going to see dates attached to that. And what I mean by this is you're going to see a schedule that says week one, Giants at Cowboys. <laughs> and I say that as a joke, but you never know. Bold, bold uh, choice there. Yes. Um, I don't think they are 100% committed to when this is going to start, and rightfully so, because we, we still don't know. A, a million things could happen. Um, you know, I also think – I don't think they're going to start a season – or start a season without fans and go to fans unless it's uniform across the whole country. So with that in mind, I think they'll give themselves the flexibility to say, well, here's the schedule. And you might also see something strange as well, Grump. You might also see a schedule where the division games are backloaded. Where in the event might... of cancellation. Exactly. You might see like the non-conference games first then seeing your conference ones and your division ones. That's um, an interesting thought. I, I, I just think it's, you know, the, the most critical ones. I know we're, here, we're hearing about it in Major League Baseball right now. They're kind of come up with a plan to salvage some part of the season. And one of the plans they're being floating around is you only play your division teams. I mean, those are the games that mean the most. So I, I think that they're going to be as safe as they can and, you know, try to keep some core of this season as much as they will. So I think you'll see a possibility of where, you know, those, I guess you get seven conference games. They'll be in the back of your schedule. The middle of it would be your, the, the rest of the ones in the, in the conference. And then, you know, the, uh, the interconference wants to start just a prediction on my part. So. That is interesting. I think that no matter what, we'll see it. I, I don't know because I'm I'm kind of envisioning them planning that if if everything does go without a hitch and they're they're able to start right at the beginning of the season that they're going to want that big cash grab right at the beginning even if it's just one week. Um, yeah, but let's be honest. I mean, the odds of really us starting Labor Day weekend or right after it are still most likely not happening. Well, what I, what I was going to say was maybe just across the league having all interdivision play for that first week, but not the biggest. So not Giants Cowboys, but perhaps Giants Redskins or Giants Eagles. Um if they actually have a start of the season, it doesn't matter who's playing who. People are going to be so excited to watch. It'll be fine. Um 
So I, I don't think they're really thinking about how do we squeeze every penny out of that first game. I think they're just it's if they can do it, that's fantastic. Um, but I, I really, I mean, the the NFL will have the benefit that by the start of the season, there's a potential that baseball have been ramped up again without fans, maybe partial fans, who knows? So they will have, you know, lessons learned from other leagues, how they're going to try to attempt to, to roll out. So, um, the odds that their season starts on time are greater than any other sport, obviously, because it's later on. But I am not getting my hopes up that we are starting the week after. Well, I mean, later. are those odds really greater? I mean, you really start to think about what what frigid cold does to the human immune system and, and the fact that this doesn't really seem to be disappearing anytime soon. Is it possible that it just ramps up again in the middle of the season? Oh, I mean – I'm talking about get starting the season, starting the season off. Sure. On time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, I, I mean, look, I, I'm not getting on a political soapbox on this show. No, it's, but it's not I, about I, that. I, just, I mean, I mean, logistics. I, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm just saying we are completely going down a path where this is going to come back again. I mean, I, I understand it. People just want to get out of the house. We all want to get out of the house, but wanting to do something is not, you know, it's not the reason why you should. You know, we, you can't slow time down. And unfortunately, until we have a vaccine, the virus it hasn't gone away. It's just, you know, how many people are in contact with each other. And I just, you know, I think the chances of a, a second wave are greater than they were two weeks ago. And I think the chances of it being worse than are, are greater than it was two weeks ago. And what impact does that have on sports? You know, it could we could have nothing the end of the year i went back to where we are again i hope not but i think once the uh the toothpaste comes out of the out of the uh out of the tube of wanting to get outside and going back to normal it's very hard to keep it in an orderly fashion and i think we're gonna be right back where we were in, in a couple of months if no season happens i really don't know what we're gonna talk about on the podcast every week I, mean, I know that's not at the forefront of everybody else's uh, you know, I mean, concerns, we, but just in general, just wondering what we could possibly string along from week to week. I mean, we could talk about old games. We can talk about classic games. I mean, there's lots of things like, you know. Remember I'm the older, good times I'm, when we used to have sports. Well, I mean, it's even things like, you know, I'm older than the Grump. And uh, maybe we go back and we take like a season and kind of go and break it down week by week and have him watch these games. You know, all you guys out there who are my age, you know, you remember the 86 season and the 90 season. And, uh, you know, it'd be, there's a lot of things we can do. There's a lot to talk about with the giants that, uh, and the NFL and everything to kind of get through all this. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's something that it's, it's a legitimate concern of not having a season. I mean, it's great that we're preparing for it. I would, I would prepare as if, but I am, uh, I think, I think Dan Mullen, the coach of the Gators said it best. And I'm hoping I don't screw this quote up is he's hopeful, but he's not optimistic. And that's kind of how I feel right now about the upcoming season. I'm hopeful is one. I mean, nothing would make me happier than, you know, getting on the train you know, getting the Secaucus, meeting up with the Grump, going over, having a Jameson. <laughs> Running Washington. because the cranky fan missed his first train, and now uh, we have to course. sprint to the security no, line. A tradition like no other. <laughs> uh, you know, watching us lose and going home and being pissed. I, I can't wait for that to happen again. <laughs> Nothing would make me happier. In, in all seriousness, no. I mean, as much as you say that they've, they're preparing to do things as normal, they've already scaled back. They've canceled the international games. Now, of course, that to me is, is a no-brainer. They're not super necessary. Um, you know, I know that that does affect things across the, the other economies, you know, and things like that. Um, but the, the logistics of the amount of people flying to go see that, the amount of people flying just to prepare for that, uh, those games are always kind of wild anyway because it doesn't seem like those teams have enough time to prepare for that game. It's just, you know, forget it for this year. Well, here's the thing, too. It's smart they did it now because they did it before the games were even scheduled. So it's not like, 
you know, Thursday night they announced the Giants are playing Miami again at Wembley, and we booked flights on Friday, and all of a sudden, two weeks from now, they cancel it. Um, I know I I was supposed to go to, to uh, Europe this summer for the Euros, and, you know, the American airlines like Delta, no problem, cash refund. I have some flights in Lufthansa, and they are like, fuck you, no refunds. And even though there is a ban right now for all non-EU residents are banned from entering Germany right now, that does not prevent Lufthansa from issuing a refund on a flight. So all of those aggravations have been avoided by them preemptively canceling it. Um, it helps out some you – know, if Jacksonville is one of those teams that was supposed to play in London or somewhere in England and now the city of Jacksonville gets its eighth home game, it's good for the city. You know? Sure. I mean, um, I guess. Sure. I mean, hey, they're – you know, it's good for the fans who – Season ticket holders get to go to eight games instead of seven. I would love to travel there for our away game. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So and and in related news, Giants deadline for season ticket holders to pay for their tickets has been moved a second time to July first. That's correct. Uh, we received our emails today from the Giants that uh, instead of having them due on May. I think it was May 15th or May 12th, somewhere around there. They have pushed it back to July 1st, and there is an option you can pay in full in July 1st or a four-month plan starting in July. So uh, that's a nice move on the Giants' part. They're not trying to take your money and hold it and get the interest for themselves. Um, I feel bad for the people that paid before this all happened, but the rule is – if you're offered free interest on something, you never pay in full. So let that be your Econ 101 lesson <laughs> for the future. So that that's a nice little update that they just came out today. Um, other things that kind of are going on, you know, like I said, after the draft, this is when things start to roll. You know, some teams like the Giants have already started contact with their players and things like that. Um Rookie minicamp, I don't know when that's supposed to start, but it is soon. I thought it was in May. This will um, be a virtual minicamp, correct? Right, okay. Mm-hmm. So, um, and the deadline to sign players to their fifth-year option has came and went, and the Giants have used the or decided to exercise the fifth-year option for both rookies from the 2017 class, I think. And that is Evan Ingram and Jabril Peppers. They've used both of them. So they will be signed through 2021. Evan Ingram should be somewhere around $6 million. Jabril Peppers, somewhere around $6.8 million. I think it's a no-brainer for two reasons. One, you know, we don't need that hanging over our head this year, what's going to happen next year. These guys are talented guys and core pieces going forward. But two... This is a new coaching staff, both yeah. sides of the ball. They are implementing their own schemes. They're, they're implementing their own coaches to not only coach these guys up, but to evaluate. And better to take the weight of what's going to happen with your contract off the table right now, and let's do it. The Giants have the con- they have the cap space to do it, you know. And you know, we make our decisions next year. You know, another. Uh, you know, uh, the, it will dictate how the draft goes next year. You know, they may want to replace these guys next year. That's next year's problem. Um, let's see what we have right now with these guys. So I, I think it was a smart move. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, in in addition to, um, in addition to the fact that it's a new coaching staff, these are currently for the core the the current roster. These are core players. Um. At safety, Jabril Peppers, and at tight end, Evan Ingram. Now, they can be switched out, but, you know, we already know for 2020 that, you know, perhaps Xavier McKinney ends up taking Jabril Peppers' spot and they walk away from Peppers after 2021. You have that little bit of time, but there's really nobody to step up in Evan Ingram's spot at tight end. So there's really no risk in in using this option and seeing if you want to build your team around this this core or one of the two guys, um, the, the the financial risk is pretty low, um, 
and you know, like with most, like ninety nine percent of rookies on this, they're like twenty four, twenty five when this deal ends. I mean, they're still going to be young, and you can use that time to either work out an extension or find a replacement. The most important way and the proven way to build a franchise is to do it young and to do it cheap. You know, if you are deciding you are out with your Brill Peppers, you are out with Evan Ingram, you want to replace them on the open market. They're older guys and going to be infinitely more expensive. You know, the, there will be a day of reckoning where they'll try to get new contracts and we will deal with it at that time. And if it's worth it or not, that's, you know, we have two years to make that call. But if you're going to decide right now, you know, you're going to make those decisions a year sooner, it, 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 it doesn't make any sense. I mean, this team is still in a rebuild. They need assets. They have holes to fill. They need as much flexibility as they can, and this gives them more flexibility. That's it. And, you know, again, the people out there, it's amazing. There's such a large segment of Giants Twitter that micromanages every single move and thinks every single move is in and itself a backbreaker to this franchise. You know, keep in mind the money you're talking about. Keep in mind the impact to a roster. Whether you're talking about the Leonard Williams trade, which I'm sure in 23 years people will still be complaining about and think it's how it's affecting their lives, you know, to whether they're going to wrap up these guys for seven million dollars versus five million versus eight, you know, you have to look at all the moves made, how they interrelate with each other. You're going to make yourself mental and crazy, cherry picking every single one you don't like and think it's more important than it is. Well, no GM has ever gotten it 100% anyway. So even if you manage to find a convincing you know, argument and, you know, that was a bad deal. Like, okay, yeah, you're right. It was a bad deal. So what? The the the, the deal the, the thing you look at if it was a bad deal, well, what were the long-term implications? And this fan base has that third round pick that they lost in that trade so wedged so far up their ass is probably a diamond by this point you know move on it, it, it's not impacting the future of this team it, it was a, a calculated gamble that so far you know you're going to have a very good player for half of 2019 and all of 2020 and if you look at the numbers this defense got a lot better and the players around him got a lot better once Leonard Williams was there is that all worth giving up a third round pick to be determined. We'll, we'll know after the end of his time here in New York. Well, the, 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 specifically speaking to that, um, my 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 true position is still not known because we still don't know the full implications here. If Leonard Williams signs to a long-term deal, then to me, they've done it. Then this is this is an okay move. If he signs to a long term deal and plays well throughout, then it was a great move no matter what. But I mean to to, to fully judge it right now and oh he could have been had for without the trade. Yes, that's true. But you know we don't know. I mean if this is a one year rental and then, and then a mid year, then it was then it was a bad move. But it's not a back breaking move losing a third round and a fifth round draft pick. It just well, isn't. Even if we lose him after this year, you know, a year and a half of a guy that plays at a solid level to me is worth a third round pick. I mean, if we're going to get 22, 23 games out of the guy and he plays well and elevates the play of everybody around him and elevates the play of the defense, you know, you know, it sucks. You'd like to keep him, But again, that's not a, a year and a half is not a rental. I and think people, during a rebuild, I would call it a rental. I mean, I mean, again, you know, doing this with Jadavian Clowney for the Seahawks last year, fine, because they were legit contenders. Are we contenders this year? Did we think we would be contenders this year based on last year when the trade was made? No. But again, I do believe that the full intent of this trade was to get a head start on signing him to a long-term deal before he hit the open market. Because we weren't going to have the deepest pockets in 2020. 
And I think that, that if that's the move and it ends up happening, then it was a good move. If it doesn't end up happening, then it was a bad move. But it's not the worst. No matter what way you want to slice it, it, to me, it's not a back-breaking move. No. And also, you know, I, I define a rental as someone you know you're going to have for an X amount of time. Like you know it's going to be half a season, one season, that's it. So I will never judge. Even if he does bolt after this year, to me it's not a rental. It was just, uh, you know, they – they were playing poker and they lost, and that happens. But you're right. I mean, if he leaves after this year, it's not setting the the, the franchise back one game, one season, you know, one generation. Which I don't know why so many of you people are still, you know, other than the fact that you just hate Gettleman and you want him out. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, the, if this is his signature bad move. You need a little more to bring to the courtroom than that. <laughs> yes, bring me Ricky Williams, and then we'll we'll talk. Well, no, I mean, bring me that you know Daniel Jones turns out to be a complete bust. You know, bring to me that you know if uh, Joe Judge is not a good coach that he had two bad hires at head coach. Uh, you know, bring to me that you know the draft is you know. Bring to me after this year and next year that the record's still, you know, six and ten and not making the playoffs. That's fair. But, you know, you've got to bring more than just that's your argument. Because A, it's incomplete, and B, even if it is complete, not the end of the world. Move on. So speaking in the ways that Leonard Williams transformed the defense when he got here, um, now is kind of the time where we're gonna look at where the strengths and weaknesses is weaknesses are for the 2020 Giants as of May 4th. Um, you know, how did this roster change this offseason um, with free agency and with uh, the draft? So, you know, I, I kind of want to look at things. This is, this, is a, this is a transformative look because there's all new coaches. You know, almost, almost nobody stayed. So, you know, just sticking with the offense... We've moved from a Pat Shermer offense where we have a head coach basically acting as our offensive coordinator and an offensive coordinator who is kind of being a quarterback's coach, and I don't know what the quarterback's coach did, um, to moving on to Jason Garrett. A, I would say, proven decent to good offensive mind. Um. Experience. First of all, first of all, right off the bat, things that check boxes for me is experienced, has been head coach, is not currently the head coach. I mean, right off the bat, this is this is now the first coach since Tom Coughlin, where we don't have the head coach also calling the plays, and that to me is a win. Yes, we have a we have a CEO for the first time, as opposed to someone who just wants to get down to the you know, the 200 foot level and micromanage and have his hands on one side of the ball, which may impact his decision making at a higher level. I wouldn't even say it's micromanaging. To me, what it is, is a failure to leave your comfort zone. I mean, when you look at what Ben McAdoo was, he was a, you know, quarterbacks coach, tight ends coach, offensive coordinator very briefly, and then you know, head coach, and he never left the, you know, I don't think that you can leave when, you know, 80% of your brain is stuck in a playbook. You know what I mean? You're just not, because even when, you know, offensive coordinators do things when defense is on the field, they work with their team, they go through the slides and they're, you know what I mean? Like, sure. That's that's an active role. There is no stopping. You know? That's what I mean by micromanaging, where it's just but it, like. But see, you know, when I think of a head coach that micromanages, I, I think of a guy who is got his himself too deep into everything, and he's not seeing the big picture. This is too deep into one specific thing, and it's your comfort zone. People who can't leave their comfort zone, to me, are not good at that upper level of commanding yeah, a whole. We're saying, we're, saying, we're saying the same thing. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And and. I'm hoping that that's what we see with Joe Judge, but for now, it appears that we have a situation where our offensive coordinator is not responsible for anything more than the offense, period. 
Well, if oh. Joe Judge is spending 80% of his time worrying about special teams during a game, we have you're going to have some very big problems. But I mean, I, even if he does, there is a special teams coordinator. I should hope yeah. that that's not the case. And it's, it's, I think it's physically impossible to be that. And second of all, I, I, I think I think he was brought in to be, and based on the hires of the people he brought in as well, mm-hmm. he's going to mm-hmm. be a CEO. Right. You know, as opposed to the store manager who's also running, you know, the company. The cash register. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I mean, so so whatever you think of Jason Garrett, you can at least take solace in the fact that our head coach is not worried about the next play call and forgetting that he should be calling timeout right now. I mean, which is a Jason Garrett trademark failure uh, uh, as a head coach. It's just well, also it's also Pat Shermer and you know Ben McAdoo as well. Yeah, the traits are similar. Um, with what Jason Garrett brings to the table as far as a play caller and an offense design, um, I think fits in tandem with what Dave Gettleman believes in um, and what he looks for in players. And I think that Pat Shermer sort of was the same thing, but just not as successful with it. Um, and that is, you know, lean on the running game, play action. Um and I think that we have the pieces in play to start that, right? We have we have the what should be an all pro running back. We have a it appears to be a quarterback that keeps his eyes downfield, that maybe he doesn't have a big arm, but he, he does have that downfield mentality to him. Um The thing that seems to be missing is you know, and, and I, this is more of a question, is does this offense have a big play receiver? I know that we are all very hyped on the rookie year that Darius Slayton had, but sophomore slumps are very, very common, especially with guys that come out of the woodwork. You know, um, the Victor's Cruz type stories are very, very rare. Um, and I'm not saying that Slayton can't do that. It's how much is Slayton going to elevate his game from last year? Because they have now a full off-season to watch tape and see what he did to succeed. I'm, I'm talking opposing corners, opposing defensive coordinators. So, to me, that's the big question mark in terms of the overall offense. I, I, I think that, uh, you know, having, I think this is for the first time you might have had a general manager and a head coach on the same page with what they wanted to do as they're requiring talent. And I think that's pretty important. I also think the philosophy of building from the inside out is finally in play. You know, we saw that with the draft picks. You saw, you know, offensive lineman, you know, secondary linebacker, middle out. Um, this team has not had a core for years. They've had lots of, you know, talent, wide receivers, running back, secondary. But, you know, those things don't work if you don't have your core. So I think we are still in that acquiring the right amount of talent baseline of talent before we start worrying specifically about we're trying to implement this offense. So I think this year is going to be kind of a, not the true Jason Garrett offense, right? Just yet. I think it's still a lot of, you know, filling holes, seeing who works, who doesn't work, you know, dealing with the, the depth issues we still have on the offensive line, wide receiver, um, a young quarterback still. So I, I think this year is not going to be any definition of what, though, this is the offense going forward. This is what they're trying to do. This is kind of a transition year. But finally, not a transition year. We're just killing time more towards building towards something. So, Yeah, and, and to, to exactly what you said, right? So there was a definite, deliberate, and very obvious um, strategy to the draft to – on offense, they just weren't dicking around. It was offensive linemen. If there was a top-rated offensive lineman on their board up there, when they got their name called, they were taking him. Um, and and it was evident, right? I mean, left tackle Andrew Thomas transformed the way that this offensive line is shaped. I mean, now you have options. 
Um, and he's a guy who has been successful with, you know, deep quarterback drops, short quarterback drops in the power running game. I mean, he can totally do it all to what you want to do. It moves Nate Soul to the right side, potentially. He can go to the right side, potentially. I mean, there's so much more that can happen there. Um, you know, getting Matt Parrott, you know, that's that's depth, finally, for this team. It's, it's a possible starter down the road. Um, I don't think that he plays in 2020. But, I mean, this is a guy who maybe emerges as part of the the line of the future. Um, you know, Shane Lemieux, it, it's just this, this influx of depth into the interior of the line as well. Uh, one of the storylines I'm not looking forward to this offseason is where Andrew Thomas will be playing left tackle or right tackle to start the season. And, and also the, you know, the minutia of every move in training camp saying it looks like he's going to be left tackle or right tackle. It doesn't really matter this year. I mean, I can see the pros and cons of him playing left or right to start off. He's going to be the left tackle of the future. Let's not all melt down. If we see on the first, uh, the first lineup of the ones in the first training camp where he's on the right side, let's not read too much into that. I've already, I've already had this argument with people. I understand I mean, I mean, we we all understand, right, that he was drafted to be the left tackle of the future, right? Right. We we understand that. First and foremost, you're going in with a new coach. He comes in, and he's going to put the best combination out there. So that means in training camp and in practices, they're going to be switching. They're going to try everything. Shane Lemieux at center, Shane Lemieux at guard. Nick Gates apparently plays every fucking position on the line because everyone wants him to be center, guard, and tackle. At the um, same time. Yeah. yeah. So That solves I mean, our depth problems. He's going to play three places at once. Yeah. So they're, they're going to mix and match anyway. So forget fucking practice. Second of all, what is an offensive line's number one job? Period. Keep the quarterback upright. Exactly. If the best chance to keep Daniel Jones from getting obliterated is to have Andrew Thomas play on the right side for this year, then so be it. It doesn't matter. I know people are like, why put him on the right side if he's going to be the left side? Why try and confuse him for later? First of all, if he can't handle that as a fourth overall pick, then we've already failed. Second of all, it doesn't matter if it gets our quarterback killed this year. It just doesn't. So... Ultimately, whenever you're doing anything for training camp, you're putting together a, a roster, a team, a depth chart that is best for that year. And it may change at one point in the year, but for week one, it is what it is. It's the best combination of players that you can put out there. It's not, we'll put him at left tackle and he'll figure it out along the way. You know, Not when you have a veteran like Nate Solder who's played both sides of the line. That he can just switch. You know, And they're, gonna, they're going to figure it out. You know... Well, I think the I think the people that are most going to be most agitated if he does start off on the right side is the ones that have already written off Nate Solder as a complete lost cause. Well, or the people who were really pulling for Isaiah Simmons. Well, if you're still carrying that torch, just leave the fan base now because, I mean, really, if you're really because I mean that's just your own personal ego in effect that you were bruised because you were wrong. You wanted somebody that most likely you never saw play until the playoff. You fell in love with. You try to make a case on Twitter that, you know, so you can say you were right and you were wrong. And it happens. If you are rooting against someone on your supposed favorite team just to prove yourself right, fuck you. Hit the unsubscribe button to this podcast and don't ever show up at Giant Stadium again. Because that's, you know, that's not really being a fan. That's just someone who's an egomaniac. And, uh, you know, I personally, I don't think Nate Solder, a lot of his problems, I think, last year were injury-related. Um, I think he will bounce back. I don't think he'll be an all-pro. But I think he will still be a serviceable guy who could start either tackle and certainly be a depth guy that they need. Anybody who thinks they're cutting him is woefully mistaken. He will be a factor on this offensive line this year, and probably a bigger one than you expect. Mm-hmm. I and, hope he is. Yeah, I mean, it's, and, it's kind of important that he is. Quite frankly, there's a fifty percent chance that he stays on the left side this year. I mean, I don't know, 
Therefore, I'm not going to say any more or less than 50%. Is that bad? I mean, is it necessary? No, if, he's, if, he, if he's good enough that he keeps his left tackle spot, that means A, he's pretty good. And it B, means that we have two very good tackles. Yeah, and you know, and Andrew Thomas can gradually get his feet wet in the NFL, with, you know, not having you know, having that uh, that mark on his back that he has to protect Daniel Jones' weak side. So I don't know what the problem is if he does start on the right side be very honest unless again if you said you thought he was going to be on the left side and you were proven incorrect and your ego kicks in again yeah i don't know for me i the weaknesses that i really see on this offense are are more the question marks is do we have do we have the outside talent to be the offense that i think jason garrett wants to be and do we have do we have this offensive line figured out is this the right combo of guys right now in order to – I mean we've certainly put the investment in, but it may not be 2020 that this line is figured out, right? I mean it might be that Matt Parrott is the right tackle of the future and Andrew Thomas is the left tackle of the future and, and Shane Lemieux is the center of the future. But it may not happen this year. So the moves may have been made, but we may not have the, the experience yet to field that team. And to me, I'm not sold – that the offensive line is a strength of this team, I'm still viewing the interior, namely the center position, as a weakness. And when the center, when the center is a weakness, both guard spots are not a strength. So, yeah, I, I don't look at the offensive line as the sieve that it's been. No, or, definitely um, not the sieve that it's I, been. I, 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 to me, I'm looking at this from a 2020 perspective and not long-term view. To me, the biggest question mark for 2020. Is Daniel Jones? Um, you know, let's not put the cart before the horse. I still have a lot of faith that he will be a successful quarterback for this team for quite a while. Uh, and I'm not booking my flights to Canton to watch him get inducted, but I also don't have him on Ryan Leaf watch either. I think he'll be a solid quarterback. But if we're talking for 2020, you know, he was kind of thrown into the fire last year. Probably wasn't ready to. Did his best, you know, but played like a rookie, you know, made made rookie mistakes, had a lot of fumbling problems that, uh, you know, the pendulum is swung from the guy's a fumbling machine till none of it was his fault because of the offensive line. It's somewhere in between the two, you know, the, the blame for all the fumbles. He fumbled a lot and he's going to have to learn to hold on to the ball because he's going to get hit. The best offensive lines are still going to allow pressure and blindside hits and everything. So, you know, he has to take that next leap, you know, seeing his reads, knowing that playbook inside and out, which by the way, is a brand new playbook this year, not having a true number one receiver. It's a, it's a, it's an adequate wide receiver core, but it's not top heavy. So that kind of hurts a little bit, you know, it's, um, We'll have to see. So that, to me, is the biggest question mark on this offense is for next year. I mean, for 2020. I'm not, again, not long-term concerned, but 2020, my big concern is that incremental leap that Daniel Jones is going to take and, and see where we are and when that happens and how much of a leap it's going to be. Moving to the defense, um, you know, the – this is now a defensive line that has Dexter Lawrence, Leonard Williams, Dalvin Tomlinson, B.J. Hill, um, you know, R.J. McIntosh, Austin Johnson. This, this is a fairly stacked defensive line. Um, I would say normally that it would be hard to have a better defensive line in the division, but it just so happens that everyone in this division has a pretty good defensive line. Um, I think it's a, uh, I think it's a very good lunch pail defensive line. I don't think there's any weaknesses in it, but there's nothing in there that's truly outstanding or game changing. Which you know that's that's okay for right now. I mean, you got to run before you, you can get a crawl before you can run, and they needed to build up the depth and the, the talent level where you're not going to gallop for seven yards a run. You're not going to have 13 hours to sit back there and throw. Um, you know, 
can't say it's a great defensive line where we're not really sure where that consistent pass rush is going to be. Uh, but like all facets of this team, it's still a work in process. Right. I mean, I think that this is a defensive line that should be stopping the run, should be keeping all runs, you know, less than three yards, around three yards. Um, it, and it should be generating pressure up the middle. I mean, this is – these are a talented group of guys. They're all very big guys and they're strong. Um it is lacking the support of an edge rusher. And we knew this going into the draft, that it was going to be, will this be an edge rusher or will this be a tackle? And, you know, both of us agreed before the draft that they're both very equal in importance, but at the end of the day, protecting your quarterback is the most important thing you can do, especially when you have the guy you think you have for the future. You got to keep him upright. So that tipped the favor, but that didn't take anything away from the need that the Giants have at edge rusher. Right now, they have a linebacking group that is a hodgepodge of inside guys like Ryan Connolly, who's, you know, hopefully rebounds from a torn ACL. Blake Martinez, who was, I guess to put it bluntly, underwhelming in Green Bay. He did well in some areas, not so well in others. Um, and edge rushers that are mostly rotational in nature. No, no. J.J. Watts on this roster. No game-breaking talent there, but just hopefully enough fresh legs and enough, you know, adequate talent in in Marcus Golden and um, Lorenzo Carter and O'Shane Ziminis and potentially, and I I really do believe this, potentially Carter Coughlin. Even though he's a seventh-round draft pick, I'm telling you, watch his tape. I do think that he will contribute. You know, these guys, none of them are going to be playing every down on defense and rushing the passer with consistency the way that this defense needs in contribution. That's kind of the big weakness here. I mean, we can we can talk at end about will the secondary step up from where it was last year where we had, you know, right now James Bradbury is a pretty good shutdown corner. We now have a, a pretty damn good tandem of safeties with Jabril Peppers and Xavier McKinney. Um, but it's going to be the question marks. Baker, Beal, Ballantyne, Love, are these guys going to step up and be pros? I think now you have more competition in the secondary than we didn't have before. We had to throw guys out there because of the depth issues that guys had to learn on the fly as rookies. And the, the talent level behind them, it's severely dropped off. Now we have three classes of quarterbacks in there now that are going to be fighting for playing time and a spot in the rotation. So that's going to help, you know, the overall talent level is getting better. Oh, definitely. But I mean, at the end of the day, if all of them play the way they played last year, then there's a big hole on one side of the field. Yeah. Well, well, the second thing I think also with that is I think now we have a coaching staff that will see and assess the talent they have and create a scheme that works to the best abilities and talents of everybody there as opposed to trying to shoehorn a system in that may not have been the right fit for people's skill sets, experience, and the depth of those positions too. So I think you're going to see a little more of, you know, making something work as opposed to forcing something that didn't work. I'm glad you said that because to me, the biggest question mark is, is defensive coordinator Patrick Graham even going to be good? I mean, it's it's difficult to really assess that. I mean, I think that it's it's unfair to grade him on his tenure with the 2019 Miami Dolphins. You know that that's a roster that was bad to start with, got worse as the season went on. You know, with Mika Fitzpatrick leaving, etc. That was um, a team. That was a team built to tank. So you're yeah. right. It's it's unfair to grade him based on that, but it's also not wise to completely ignore. And, you know, there are things such as, like, how the team improved down the stretch, how they played, you know, when when things turned around, given the talent that he had to deal with. But it's hard to look at a total defense that finished 30th, uh, you know, a passing defense that didn't finish very well, 26th, rushing defense finished 27th, scoring defense 32nd, giving up 30.9 points a game. 
Yeah, but, but part part of that you could also blame on an anemic offense. Too. Of course, you could blame it on a million things. And I mean, yeah. again, you know, you, you're looking at a roster where their best players are who? Taco Charlton, Vince Beagle, Eric Rowe. I mean, not not household names. You know, these are not. Well, I mean, I mean, if it was, this if it was if it was purely on coaching, the guy would not have got another job that quickly. Right? Yeah, yeah, I, I would mean, think so. I mean, if it's, I mean, this league is very smart. This league does its due diligence on everybody and everything. The bad coaches just don't get another job immediately for, you know, doing the exact same thing. Now, yeah, I know Pat Shermer got a job somewhere right away, but not the same job. Mm-hmm. No, that's totally different. No, he didn't right. get a head coaching job, so. Exactly. So, you know, it's all like I just said about. You know, how do you match the skill set with the talent and with the scheme you're trying to do on defense? It's matching the skill set of the coaches, what they do best, too. So the fact that he got a job pretty quickly with the Giants and was in demand, that tells me that somebody knows that he might be a pretty decent coach. Yeah, I mean, again, it, it's he's only got the one year of defensive coordinator experience. So it's it's hard for me to say that he is a good coach. You know, he just had a shit roster. And I don't know how I don't know how I don't know how Joe Judge can say that. You know, it's a lot hard yeah, it's a lot harder to say, well he's a good coach, but than it is to say, well it's not fair because he you know had bad results last year. Right. He's not he has to prove himself, but I think it's I'd rather discount last year because of circumstances than by just, you know, Let's start with a clean slate and see how he does as opposed to expecting these great things because he's just going to overcome things that were just insurmountable. Right, and so with the with the real influx of talent coming from the draft to, I would say, the offensive line and the safety position pretty exclusively. Um, not entirely exclusively, but almost. Uh, and, and it was, it, it, let's be honest, it was not a good defense last year. What is Patrick Graham going to be able to do with a roster that's not really too much better than the one he just left? I mean, are we in for another year? I mean, I think it's better. I mean, I, I would be I would be some fucking fan to tell you that this roster is just as bad as the 2019 Miami Dolphins defense. It's not. Now, uh, I, I don't want to do this all season, but I'm going to have to do this all season. That... With everything going on, I think everything is kind of up in the air right now. I mean, the lack of a true offseason compounded by you have, you know, a new coaching staff compounded by it's a coach making his debut as a head coach. I mean, all of these things make it less clear how you can project things. So I'm not giving the Giants or Joe Judge or Dave Gettleman or anybody a pass for this, but you know, it's we have to say it now, and we maybe we'll just do a reminder saying asterisk, just to keep reminding you. But yeah, I, I, I think it's really tough to project. You know, which teams will come out of this training, quote unquote, off season training camp time better prepared than other ones were with all of the issues that are going to be, you know, the headwinds for every team. We just don't know. We've seen evidence like in the NBA with the lockouts at some teams were not prepared for it. And some were, and, you know, at least in the short to medium term, that was a direct result of what you saw on the, in the records on the court. So I don't know. I, I really think this year is such a crapshoot. If it even goes off at all, that uh, I don't think what you see on the field is a true indication of a the talent level, the the coaching staff. I think it's just hang on by the short hairs and let's get through this season. I think the other thing to keep in mind with that is don't react to week one too heavily. I mean, <laughs> whenever we're playing without a training camp, teams learn on the fly and the good coaches rise above the other. So maybe they'll start a little bit slow, but they'll come. I mean, the cream always rises. So Yeah. This is where it would be nice to have a veteran quarterback. It you would know, be, uh, yeah. Unfortunately, we don't. I will but, say, yeah. at the very least, it seems we have a mature quarterback. It's better to be having Daniel Jones right now than 
Jameis Winston, I guess. Sure. And why do you think, you know, I, I think part of the reason why Jameis Winston took so long to get a job, I think is because of situation and circumstance over him specifically. I think this is a normal offseason. I think it would have been, you know, hired, you know, signed sooner. I think for the reasons you said that, you know, we need professionals this year to get through this offseason. And he does not act like a professional. And I think that hurt his, his value. Sure. So that's it. For, for me, you know, the weakness on defense is going to be, you know, the secondary and the linebacking spot. Uh, and I, it, for me, I really just don't even know what to expect from Patrick Graham and how he's supposed to do any better this year than he did last year enough to keep his job. You know, I, I really don't know. Um, I think the biggest thing for me in the defense this year is, you know, it's, it's above talent level. It's above experience. It's just how fast will it take this defense to click and start playing together? Because we've seen in the past probably giant teams where it's taken two, three, four games before, you know, you put your finger in the dike and it's not a complete disaster. Uh, this year, you know, now we have no real offseason, new coaches, you know, roster turnover. It could be ugly for the first month of the season on the defensive side. And I think you have to give them, if not a pass, at least a lot of patience. Yeah, definitely. And that's kind of that's kind of it for this episode. Um Next week we'll we'll be reacting to the schedule release and you know I guess not necessarily our annual our annual first pass at wins losses we could do that we can be like a very high level <laughs> subject to modification throughout the off season right um, and you know we'll, we'll spend several episodes uh, detailing each game kind of how we we think the matchups line up and where we feel things go, and then we revisit that right before the season starts. Um, But in the meantime, I'm on Twitter at football underscore grump, where you can find me talking all Giants football. Find me as always on Twitter at the cranky fan. We're talking about the Giants, the Gators. There's really nothing else going on right now. Uh, Hoping we get out of this situation sooner than later. We all want to get out of the house, get back to work watch sports but you know just because we want something doesn't mean that's going to make it happen any faster so just be smart don't be selfish and uh, we'll get through this and as always the podcast can be found on Spotify and SoundCloud and Google Play Apple iTunes um, wherever you get your podcast from we're there so just hit that Subscribe button and don't worry about having new episodes in your feed. They will be there every Tuesday morning by the time you wake up. Yep. And you can follow it on Twitter as well, at JustGiantsPod, for your weekly reminder for when the episode is up as well. And also follow our Facebook page also. We will give heads up for that too. All right, everyone. See you next week. Go Go Giants. Giants.